and welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. I'm Jilly Smith, and this week I'm heading down the Regent's Canal to Hackney's favourite cafe, Towpath. It's self-fulfilling when you eat really simple food that is prepared with love and is seasonal and cooked, you know, at that moment and just offered to you to elevate its qualities. I mean, it tastes better than anything you can imagine. So, of course, you then want to eat that and not something flown from halfway around the world. The magic is created by Laurie DeMori and Laura Jackson and Laurie's ex-partner, food photographer Jason Lowe, who 11 years ago dreamed up a cafe out of something the size and ambience of a bus shelter on the Regent's Canal. Since then, Laura and Laurie have magically transformed it into what Kira Knightley, no less, says is the reason she lives in London, a jewel of a place. How they did it is nothing less than the meaning of life, Laurie explains. Well, I would say that one of the interesting things that we work with at Topath is that we our place is so small and so simple, and in effect we're creating something out of nothing. And... I did write about it in the book, having done the Camino de Santiago, which was where you just put all your things, whatever you want to carry, in a pack and walk and walk. And I, you know, for like 40 days. And you end up really developing this appreciation for the smallest, simplest um, bit of beauty, which you appreciate so much more than you do when you're living in the full chaos of regular everyday life. So to us... You know, getting people to slow down and just see, to make like little posies out of wildflowers and remake them when bits die out and put new things in instead of just like loads of factory fresh flowers replaced again and again. Yeah, and and plates that you reuse, mix and match stuff. Um, I mean, you do say that in the down days, you do actually go through and look for chips on the plates. But this, you don't just throw things out when they've been just a little bit overused. Well, because it, I mean, it seems to us like if you want to make something feel really homey and inviting, then it's the sort of worn, used, loved things that are actually most welcoming um, and less sterile, you know, yeah. than... And Laura, how do you feel about that? Is that your vision of it as well? Because you're very much the food person and Laurie is very much the stories person, both in book and in cafe. Is that your vision too, Laura? Yeah, I think we're completely in, in sync with, with... I think it would be weird if it wasn't, if I was like kind of in the kitchen feeling disgusted by <laughs> the flower arrangements and plates I think that would uh no I mean totally I mean I'm I'm the one who gets you know I love I mean if you saw my house it's kind of like an extension of towpath it's just full of collected things with chips and stories behind it and you know that is I mean we obviously do it together but before COVID the thing that I would look forward to is once a year was going to France to go to the big flea markets and buy all these plates um, and go and pick them out and and that was just part of the fun and then we all have our like favorite plates and you know we see them go out sometimes just looking so gorgeous with like the particular you know Laura will choose the plate that goes with what she's done and then at some point the plate breaks and it always sits on a shelf for like three weeks There's in been the lots kitchen of those because we recently. can't bear to get rid of it. And we're sort of like mourning the plate and then it goes, you know. No, but definitely like I, I don't just grab a plate 
to put the food on. Like I think about which plate I want that dish to go on because it makes it look different with the color combinations. And then it's sort of like fed by people's delight at the small thing, which makes us want to do it more. So it's this whole kind of circular energy of everybody pleasing everybody and appreciating. It feels like you're charming people. It feels like, and I haven't even been, I feel like I have after reading the book, it feels such a magical place. And I, 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 I almost got on the train to go and to Towpath, I haven't been to London for 18 months and I just can't. Well, please, I, soon, soon. Soon, but I just can't quite leave gorgeous Sussex or Brighton yet. I'm still in COVID mentality. It seems to charm people, though. And you're right. It seems to have this kind of circular nature. It feeds back. There's a wonderful sort of aesthetic that isn't about showing off. It's about pointing out those little things that charm that delight and that people may not have seen themselves but in that space and it's not just your space there are some other places very few that that I've been to where people you know where people would just point out a little wildflower in the meadow for example that you might you might have just trodden on otherwise you might not have noticed and it is that slowing down that pointing out the beauty of what's under your nose but you have to know that it doesn't charm everybody I want to say that it charms most people and many people and it is really lovely when someone comes who looks like they're not ready to be charmed and then they are but sometimes people come with their own agenda you know and their laptop and their desire for the takeaway coffee or whatever it is and then when you tell them like in the nicest way you can like no this is what we're doing they sometimes look at you like you know oh you guys are so up yourselves (laughs) and then off they go you know and and but most people are not please, like that. But what I mean, you have to be willing to accept the fact that you can't please everybody, no matter how welcoming and beautiful and delicious. And that's a really interesting thing to kind of hold that. Okay, we're not for you. And there's a million places that are for you. Yeah. And they shouldn't be sitting at the table, right? They should be going to one of those other places. Yeah. But they can it's interesting that yeah, they pass through get a sense of it and move on. Let's talk about the people who actually do come, they stay, they might come first thing in the morning and they stay all day. Let's talk about the magic that is keeping them there. Describe the Towpath Cafe. Let's go right back to the beginning, the kiosks and imagining this extraordinary thing into being. There is, um, you know, in our neighbourhood in East London, lots and lots of the buildings the old industrial buildings, especially along the canal, they've all just been torn down and replaced with kind of hideous new builds, soulless at least. And we're in an old building called the Bankstock Building, which is a kind of semi-deco building that um, was sort of reimagined about 12 years ago. And instead of just knocking it down, one of the things that they did was on the canal level that had never been anything. They carved these little kiosks, which basically are the size of bus shelters, no larger than that, out of, and and behind them is just the car park for the building. And at a certain point when the building was done, there was a for sale sign in front of them. But you all you saw were closed shutters. So when we made an appointment with Beverly, the estate agent, to go and see them, and she opens up the shutters to like, ta-da, two meters deep by five meters wide concrete 
bunkers. You know, it was not the most inspiring in an area that at that point was um, very little trafficked. The the part like just outside of the kiosk was not even paved. So it was like dusty, scrubby. When the wind came up, it was just like dust everywhere. What did you see then, Laurie? Because you're, you're describing something that most people would go, okay, that's not for me. And off you go and, and keep looking. But what did you see then? Well, I think it was a particular moment for me that I had lived in Tuscany for a long time. I'd raised my kids in the countryside. My son had gone off to uni in the States. My daughter was with me. I was married to someone who lived in London. It felt like, and I had come to London and I had written a book about, I was trying to write a book about the Camino, which was that extraordinary experience that I had. And I worked on it for a year and I just couldn't get it up to the level that it needed to be. And I put that project down, but I was still completely full of all the revelations of that trip. A lot of them had to do with like, what actually makes us happy, which are so much... It was a delight to find out that they were much simpler things than I had imagined. And so in my mind, the, the smallness and the simplicity actually really resonated with me as a possibility. Like, what I could play with this and offer. And I was also new to London and walked everywhere, so I'd spent lots and lots of time on the canal, and there was nothing there. So I thought, well, I would want to stop if I came upon something Maybe people would. So that was really it. And then we had met Laura, and her food was so delicious, and her way, you know, we just liked everything about her, and especially her cooking. And Not my personality. <laughs> well, that was sort of... Yeah, she didn't like me very much. Laura, what did you say when these people came, came to you and said, do you want to come in with us? I mean, I'd obviously, so, you know, as I'm sure you know, I was working in France in this little auberge and and there were eight bedrooms, so you would really get to know the people who came to stay. And because it was an English couple running running it, generally the people that came, I mean, you had a lot of locals coming, but the people who actually came to stay, because it really was in the middle of nowhere, tended to be mostly English and yeah, you know, Laurie and, and her partner at the time, Jason, came, I think, three, two or th- three times, I think. And so you would, you'd get to know people. And I didn't have any plans for when I came back to London. Like I hadn't, you know, just as I thought with that, when I went, I went there on holiday and I fell in love with it. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I really want to work here. You know, I didn't have that about a place in London when I came back, like, oh, I really want to work at this place in London. I hadn't really thought about my next step. So so when they kind of told me about these little kiosks, I was a bit like, you know, I chatted to them. My gut feeling was I, lo- I really liked them. I liked their enthusiasm. I mean, I obviously, I didn't know much about Laurie, but I knew obviously about Jason and his photos because he had taken photos for a lot of very inspirational cookbooks f- for me. Um, so I was a bit like, well, why not? You know, but it was also like, I'm not going to become a partner because I don't know you. So it's like, why not? I'll go for it. And then if after a few months, I'm like, oh, these people are awful, then I can just say goodbye and, and good luck. Have fun. But, (laughs) but the amazing thing is we said like, let's give it three months. And after three months, Laura was like, 
there's nothing I'd rather be doing than this. How wonderful. And Laura, actually, last night, I had this weird, um, this is slightly off the point, but I thought we should be genetically tested because I sort of think that we must be like related (laughs) or something because we're so compatible in the weirdest way that I sometimes think like maybe we're just from some old shekel in... Eastern Europe, somewhere the same one. <laughs> well, maybe. I mean, there's so much magic in this book, and I don't normally do this. I, I used to do in the early episodes, but I, I am going to read a little bit. Um, in the early years, we found ourselves freestyling on bright, balmy days. Who had the heart to deny anyone a glass of rose when the late afternoon sun was so lovely? Glasses turned into bottles, and while we were at it, a few salted almonds and little bowls of green olives and pickled guindilla peppers. The kitchen began to dream up delicious snacks from whatever was at hand. A potato and onion tortilla for the counter, little truffle paste and parmesan buns. When the sun finally set, we lit candles and lanterns. The city dissolved into the night and it felt like we could be anywhere. I want to be there. I don't want to just come and have a coffee there. I want to move in. That's the magic that you created. I mean, Laurie, I have to say, you write like a dream. Um, but you, the way that you describe the food, the, Laura, the combination, maybe it is that you are soul sisters born from a different life. You might not feel this way when you actually come, by the way. <laughs> I can't imagine that I wouldn't. And, you know, we're going to start going through your food moments now. Laura, you've chosen the, your roast chicken. It kind of is like, it sounds really cringy but it sort of sums up how I like to cook because you're presented with this single thing and you roast it and you from that you know there's so many combinations of what you can put with the chicken to create a delicious dish but then after that there's so much more that comes from it so you've got the carcass so you can make a stock and no matter how incredible a, a, a chicken carver you are, there's always going to be bits of meat that, that you haven't got off with your knife. So within that, then you can create another dish. And then you have your carcass, and then you make your stock. And then from your stock, there's, you know, endless things that you can can make. And I have a real... For me, it's like I really, really don't want to waste anything ever. And so that, to me, is just... I don't know. It just still to this day. It just I love I love roasting chickens because it's just limitless with with what you can do afterwards from it. It's not you know there's constant surprises from it. It's not just one dish, and that's how I like to cook. Really. I'm not surprised. A lot of people choose roast chicken. I had yeah. I think yesterday two of my guests said roast chicken as well. And it is the simplicity, but it's also the ritual. There's so much depth. And so much meaning attributed to a roast chicken, isn't there? But it's also comfort food, but it's also incredibly simple. And you can take whatever is seasonal at the time and add to it and create a different version of it all the time. You use very simple ideas in in the book and in the cafe um, to keep food uncomplicated. Laurie, you talk a lot about that, the aesthetic of simplicity, do you want to say something about that? Like Laura, we d- I did not grow up in a, like, very... We ate well at home, but it was not, a, like, a foodie family. But I married someone. Um, my kid's father is Italian, French. Uh, he was... He's a restaurateur. But really through him and all the years in Italy and in Tuscany, 
um, that was where my food education came. And Tuscany in particular has such incredible kind of raw ingredients. And I know in Italy, everyone says their olive oil is the best. And, you know, that's kind of the Italian thing. But Tuscan olive oil is just a dream. And it's like everything it touches, it kind of elevates. And Italians, what they want, I mean, Tuscans especially, is they want the thing that is not even in season. It would say like nostrale, and that means it's ours, it's grown here. So they want something that is like grown five, five minutes away, picked that morning, cooked really simply, drizzled with olive oil, so that everything, the flavors are speaking for themselves. Anything that smacks of like artifice or too much showy theatrical, you know, gastronomic theatrics, they're really wondering like, what was up with that? Why did you have to do that? Because it probably wasn't good enough, you know, the raw ingredients. So that gave me really the love and appreciation. And then it is that easy thing that it's self-fulfilling when you eat really simple food that is prepared with love and is seasonal and cooked you know, at that moment and just offered to you to elevate its qualities. I mean, it tastes better than anything you can imagine. So, of course, you then want to eat that and not something flown from halfway around the world. Totally. It's taken us a long time to realise that, but you're absolutely Mm. bang on. Um, Laura, your next food moment is actually pickles. Yes. Several different pickles um, you've chosen. Why? Um. I love pickles. <laughs> um, I think it's, I mean, it's, it, you'll see a sort of recurring theme through the book is, is with a lot of my dishes, I like to either have a kind of condiment or something on, on the side. And, I, and again, I think it, it sort of goes back to what I was saying with the roast chicken is, is, is having something that has multiple uses um, and something that you can make and keep in the fridge and it has a long life. For example, the pickled radicchio, I often, you know, the kind of thing that I use it the most with at Topath is I serve it with mozzarella and pan grattato, which is a kind of bread crummy topping. And the perfect example for, for, for that is that I'll make a big batch of pickled radicchio. I mean, it, obviously we go through it quite quickly at Topath, but you can make a big batch and it will last for two weeks. And it's you come in at the beginning of the week, you've had a crazy weekend, you have nothing in the fridge. And it's just like, okay, how can I create a dish that's really delicious and seasonal and great, but it's not going to take me all morning to prep? And that's having something like a pickle or a condiment is it's like you essentially you have a dish out of nothing within minutes i mean that's a really important point isn't it it's i mean i just saw laurie's empty backpack again it's about you know actually having very little and making something out of nothing and you're right have some things in the fridge and you'll always have a good lunch yeah and then you can you know and then you have time to prepare some dishes which you can take two three hours to make so it's sort of having that balance of you know, and and it's it's a great thing to have at home. Like if you come home and you've been working all day, and you're like, "What am I going to have for dinner?" And then you've got in your fridge, you have your sauces and your pickles, and it's just something that brightens things up, Sorted. and and you can create something quite easily. And and again, it's very my sort of way I like to cook. So so I kind of thought it was a good mm. dish to choose mm. to sort of sum me up. Yeah. 
Laurie, you come up with your third uh, food moment. Um, a toasted cheese sandwich with quince mm. jelly. Of all the amazing recipes in here, um, why, why something so beautiful but simple? It's that we have a love-hate relationship with that cheese sandwich, which we sort of have to charge a lot of money for, but it actually is like probably the thing we make the least money on because we use Montgomery cheddar, which is just the finest cheddar. And we've done blind tastings with other ones and everyone always points to the sandwich and goes, no, no, even without knowing, it's like, no, that's the one. And when we opened and we were cooking from home and ferrying everything across the canal... We really, and we still even then wanted to make everything that we could ourselves. So Laura was, that's even then, that's why she started making pickles and jams and yogurt and just, you know, whatever we could do ourselves. And then thinking like, what can we offer? We opened in February, it was freezing. That is warming and comforting and delicious. And um, Jason used to bring the Montgomery cheddar to Italy as a treat. And we have some quince trees in the garden and we made quince jelly. And, you know, Spain has the membrillo and cheese thing. But the quince and the cheddar and then the kind of chewiness of the sourdough is just a sublime thing. And people loved Mm. it. And then, you know, have it with a glass of red wine. Have it. It's a kind of mix of comfort food elevated comfort food and then once we got a kitchen still so many people were coming for the sandwiches that we sort of couldn't stop doing them but it does mean that when quinces are in season which is right when we're about to close that laura finds herself like usually all alone in the kitchen at the end of everything making like hundreds of gallons of quince jelly which is pretty arduous process too to make Starts off being really fun, and then after day two, I'm like, oh, I've still got 160 litres to make. And then I'm slightly irritated by the end of it. But Oh, and the quince, quinces are actually in the rose family, and they have that, they're just so fragrant. It's incredible. So they're wonderful to have around. Yeah, and we'll talk at the end about you two going off to Tuscany when Topath finally closes for the winter. Um But let's go to your fourth food moment first. Laurie, this is yours again, the olive oil cake. Well, again, that was like, um, we've had it since day one and we've had it every day since the beginning. It has all those elements of like real simplicity and nourishment. It's It's like a breakfast cake. It's made with olive oil instead of butter. It has orange juice and citrus zest, milk, eggs, but, you know, when you're using the best milk, the best eggs, the best olive oil, and just making this really simple, not too sweet, light cake with no icing, no, it's just delicious. And it is, um, so that's something that we've always had. And it's something that epitomizes for me what I love about a certain kind of like simplicity of food that it's the ingredients that make it yeah speak for itself but it comes with a story and it comes from your neighbor in tuscany the contessa lisa contini bonacosa or the copeziano why do i mean bonacosi well yes well said (laughs) they have the most incredible winery um in another part of tuscany and a thousand olive trees and the best olive oil ever and the Contessa has since passed away, sadly, but that was her um, 
breakfast cake, and she used to call it la torta di, del tre, and it was three, so it's three eggs, 300 grams of this, 300 of that, three, and we've tweaked it, Laura's tweaked it to get it just right for us, but um, that was how I first ate it and first came to love it. Beautiful, beautiful. When the cafe does close, you both Instead of kind of going off your separate ways and saying, see ya in the spring, you go to Laurie's house in Tuscany and you cozy up and you look out over the beautiful Tuscan countryside and you cook and you gather. What is it that you can't get enough of with each other? We're not really chatting that much when we're working because it's essentially it's like these two separate little units and on a busy day it's you can we can easily go all day with other than when we see each other first thing in the morning without communicating other than like two shrimp salad left one cheese sandwich left there's no there's no kind of social interaction and I also think you know things happen at the time and and there's a lot to kind of process from a year we're always Every year we're changing things a little bit, you know. It's always, I think, to the outsider or to the customer, it's going to feel the same. But but to us, there's always things like, mm, we could do this better. We could change this a little bit so this flows better, so it's better for the staff, better for us. And, and really, like, to take a chance, take a step away from everything and have time to in a relaxed way with no kind of time constraints or time pressure just to really talk about the year and and what we think went well and what we think didn't work, go well and 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 sort of have have time to talk about it is is really amazing and then aside from that we genuinely enjoy each other's company when it's not revolved around talking about towpath so just to have some time to spend together and not discuss any of that is it's very and special. And it's also funny because as hard as we work and as busy as like Topath life makes us, in our downtime, we have kind of identical rhythms, the slow rhythm. It's and what we want to do. It's exactly the same thing. And it is. And then it gets us into a state where we're always like, oh, my God, how are we going to be able to do Topath Again, Laura's always afraid that like she won't remember how to cook for all those people or they'll have found some other place to go. And I'm always afraid, like, I've gotten too old. I'm going to be too tired, you know, because you just shift into these other rhythms, which are, you know, sleeping deeply and waking up naturally. And, you know, I get to cook for her sometimes, taking big walks, talking. My daughter's there, who Laura's also really good friends with. It's just... It's this like gentle, lovely rhythm. Yeah, I know. Can we just go now? Yeah, we sometimes in this moment feel like we should be in Tuscany now with all this like, I mean, we're not, we haven't talked about it, but what's going on with COVID everywhere and half the staff texting, you know, calling us every day, like, so sorry, but they have to isolate for 10 days because there was somebody who has it and it's just it's an impossible situation to work in right now i know and everyone's saying it and a huge love goes to everybody in the hospitality industry right now thank you for keeping going and and trying to find these amazingly ever creative ways to do it let's leave covid though and let's have a vision to end of next year 
it's going to be sunshine again all the time and there won't be any COVID. It'll all be a distant memory. What do you want from your future? Will it just be another happy 11 years and keep on going? Or what do you talk about in those Tuscan moments that you would really love it to be? (laughs) We're like the anti-growth people. We just want to make it better and better and not bigger and not... You know, maybe one day we do another book. I don't know, speaking, but even not for a long time. We just always want to see how we can make it better. Yeah, no, just quieter and just Laurie and I out there. And I mean, no, of course, we love all our staff. They're incredible. But maybe we should just open four days a week and serve 20 customers. (laughs) But... (laughs) No, I mean, that's that's just silly. But. No, but maybe actually what you're saying is you found it. We started talking about this feeling a little bit like the Holy Grail. This is the place where I feel like I want to be. Do you think you found what people are really looking for, that ability just to be a little bit quieter, a bit smaller, not be interested in growth, simplicity, lovely music, beautiful food? But, you know, it's also like we found what we're looking for. I mean, I always think if you're going to work really hard, you know, there's that, you can really distinguish between like someone who's a workaholic and they're just all about their work and their work-life balance is awful. But there's this other kind of work where it's almost like you found your vocation and your life and your work. It's just one whole thing. And so we've created also the place where we want to be, where you have to work friggin' hard there's no, I mean, really, it is like the grafting element cannot be underplayed, but the aesthetic and also the human interaction and the deliciousness, it's where we want to be. And then it turns out, and it was our intuition, like, I bet a lot of other people would like to be there too, especially in a city, you know, especially in a big city where it's hard to find those little places of belonging. And there's so many people around, but you feel alone you know so I think in a way it's like what resonates with us is what has resonated with the people who come back again and again and it's what keeps us doing it the way that we're doing it you know because it's also for us in a way thanks for listening you can buy all the books featured on cooking the books by clicking on the bookshop tab at jillysmith.com and while you're there do sign up for the newsletter to keep up with all my news including the new supper clubs don't forget to rate and review the podcast on apple podcasts and i'll see you next week when i'm zooming down to cornwall to meet the woman of the moment one of only two british chefs chosen to feed the leaders of the western world emily scott <laughs>